fam. This is your boy, Dan White Hodge, and you're listening to Profane Faith Podcast, a weekly podcast dealing with faith and religion all on the margins and engaging in all kind of good stuff. This week, though, y'all, get your notepads, get your iPads, get your book pads, whatever you got to get, because this guest this week is taking us to school. Come on, y'all. This is Profane Faith. He said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. There was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Good peoples, good family, how y'all doing out there? It's another week's your boy, Dan White Hodge. Welcome to the Profane Faith Podcast. Yes, if this is your first time, man alive, woman alive, non-binary alive. Wow. Welcome. I am glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I've been picking up some new uh, listeners. And so um, I get the podcast world. This could be just your one and only, but I want to encourage y'all to go back and, you know, check out some of the archive. All right. We're uh, now on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google, of course, iTunes. So really wherever you find your podcasts at, we're there. Um, WhiteHodgePodcast.com uh, is the uh, website. You can go there. We have uh, show notes. I have show notes uh, for every guest uh, just or anything that gets kind of brought up in the show. We tend to talk about uh, I put those links in the show notes and I just want to keep directing people there because, you know, there's some good stuff. There's some good juicy stuff there. People's uh, the, the usually the guests, their website, uh, their material. We bring up an article or a video that we feel it's important that y'all to check out. Uh, that's going to be there as well. So um, I do encourage that. And if you want to get to know me a little bit more, episode zero one, episode one, the first episode of this podcast is essentially my story. And. And uh, I'll point you to whitehodge.com, which is my own personal website. And you can check out what I do and what I've been doing for a while now, writing and trying to disrupt different systems and all that good stuff. So just want to thank you for listening and thank you for checking in. And for those of you who've been here since day one, thank you as always. Just again, a shout out to all the listeners and folks who send messages and contribute and we're having conversations and are, Hey, you know, what about this? And Hey, what about that? And so I really appreciate that. Uh, it means a lot. And, uh, it means, uh, you know, sometimes again, I, I'm always amazed at just, you know, who this goes out and reaches and, you know, that's that, that, that listens to this. So again, thank you for those of you who've been consistent here from day one. Um, I'm excited, y'all. I'm excited. I think um, we got some we got some guests lining up. So season three just seems to keep going on. Um, I'm, I, I know I mentioned a few weeks back. Uh, again, for those of you listening uh, regularly, I know I mentioned a few weeks back that you know um, I was going to basically go go off and stuff. And I'm still thinking about that. You know, I definitely need a break. But there's 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 plenty of stuff that we're dealing with right now that I just like, man. You know what? Let's just 
let's just get in it. Let's just get in it and keep going. And especially now that I'm out of school, I don't have to think about grading or committee meetings or just all the other stuff for just the day to day. And so um, we're just going to keep them going this week. y'all. I'm not going to keep you long too long here because this conversation, y'all, this conversation right here. Only love Austin. Oh, my goodness. She going to blow your minds. Um, this uh, this episode here really is important for several reasons. One, I get asked a lot of times, what are the resources that are out there that exist from people of color, particularly women of color, who are writing in the realm of systematic theology, of just theology in general, theology and culture, where do we go and find those spaces with that, you know, that are not white cis males from an evangelical background telling us what to think about the Bible? Well, y'all, this is one of them. This is one of them right here. And you're going to see why here in a few minutes. Um, I often get asked too, particularly about, you know, where do we go and find some of the resources when we begin to decolonize the mind? I will say that empire and colonization, all of those things, settler Christendom uh, colonization that is that is that has occurred, uh, particularly in our inner cities or uh, inner cities, we're basically impoverished areas because, you know, the inner cities. They're all changing, you know. They're not the hood ain't the hood anymore. At least they're like here in Chicago, it's that's not that's not the case anymore. Um but um you know, that type of theology, that type of environment that, you know, tends to propagate, you know, a, a, a pious or just a, oh, like I said, you know, on the show, I've been on the show, you know, talking about this for a long time, but you know, just the the the, the woes of evangelicalism. Um you know, it's, it's difficult to decolonize the mind. And for those who are just coming out of that, maybe some of those who are just trying to figure out again, what's, what's out there, what's, what's available, what are the resources? This is, this is one of them. This is one of them. And I'm going to encourage you to buy her book. There was an interesting tweet that went out the other day, um, from a friend of mine, Aaliyah Joy. Um, hope I'm saying your name correctly. I've been working hard to get her uh, on the show and I will, we're going back and forth trying to figure out dates. But one of the things that she said, um, in regards to particularly supporting women, women of color, authors, um, is to buy stuff, um, straight up. She says, real talk. Part of the reason I'm at the ranking is that she's at, she was talking about how, uh, she, her book, um, um, is like number 33 on the top 100 books in the Christian women's issues uh, and inspiration on Amazon today. And uh, she said, you know, curious. I looked uh, to see who else was in the top 100. From what I could tell, there were four women of color, four out of 100. If you say you value us, you have to buy our books. And she says, you know, I mean, straight up, she's like, you know, real talk. Part of the reason I'm at uh, the ranking is because I've gotten marketing exposure in major white spaces with a decent sized publisher. Many black and brown women haven't had that. I once had an influential white man tweet. I was a voice to follow and got 200 plus followers in one day. OK, one day. So. Here's the thing. And her book, by the way, is uh, is titled uh, let's see, Weakness is a Holy Invitation. All right. Weakness is a Holy Invitation from Aaliyah Joy. Um, I'll put the links in the show notes. Um, but I like that that tweet because it really spoke to 
really where a lot of us are, but particularly as women of color, it's just another layer. You're talking about intersectionality. It's just another layer of, of craziness that goes do- goes on and down uh, when you're a woman of color. And so trying to survive in this world, trying to achieve um, some sort of level of success. Yo, I'm telling you, when the rubber meets the road, it's buying them books. And so I'm going to put the link to her book, uh, uh, Only Love's book. It is an amazing book. I endorsed it, but not just because I endorsed it. Um, it is a powerful resource be- to, again, begin to take your mind away from a colonized mindset of understanding everything from a white, cis, male, evangelical who can tell us how the world should be. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I've learned all I can from them from that particular realm okay i had to go to seminary read their books i had to go to grad school and read their books i had to go and get my phd i had to go and learn about them right and if you don't know any better you think oh my gosh i remember the first time i started uh on my uh, training for to become ordained and you know i was young impressionable and i didn't know i didn't know that i'm reading from nothing but white men i didn't put it together i'm just trying to gobble all this information up and it wasn't until years later and stuff and so i think those of us who are in positions of authority and positions of education have to pastors have to do better we have to do better y'all um at being able to dig in and to propagate a decolonized mindset and and, you know and that's that's if that's what you really want to do i mean some people don't you know it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable for people to move away from that i mean um and there's something comforting about this christianity that we call you know uh normal or call cultural um you know, my wife and I were having a great discussion this week, you know, and one of those discussions revolves around the church. Like, where are we going to stay at? Where are we going to be at? We're going to stay at the current church we're at? Because I'll be honest, I am at a place now where I am just, I'm so frustrated with Christianity. Not Christ, not God, not theological matters and pursuits, but just the church, big C and little C. I'm so disgusted with where things are at that... I feel like it's it, it's like something chafing between your legs, in your thighs, you know, them chunky areas. So those of us who are husky folk, right? There's a chunky area in there that just when it starts to rub, it's like, oh, Lord. And it feels like I just keep putting stuff in there, which is church, which is, you know, we're, you know, going and speaking in, in Christian environments and stuff. And so it's, it's, it's frustrating to me because I feel like we just keep having some of the same conversations. I feel like... Man, wow, some of these organizations have been around for three decades and we're still having some of the same conversations. The, 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 the people in charge are still holding on to power. The people in charge are still making it about them and less about uh, other, I mean, the people, the community, God. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in an interesting, funky place. Both of us really are. And so I don't, you know, and I don't know what that means, but I do know that resources like this, that when they come around, you got to snatch them up. You gotta snatch them up. So I'm gonna put those links uh, in the in in the show notes again. Uh, women of color out there producing some amazing stuff. And if you're still in an environment where you're still propagating, you know, white cis male evangelicals, you know, in a theological space, yo, you got to stop. It's 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 time to move on. It's time to begin to divulge and to decolonize our mindsets. And I get it. Empire is a hell of a drug, yo. It is a hell of a drug to to take in because you look up and you think, man, that was comforting. There's something warm and fuzzy about something that's that's known. And when it's unknown, when it's not known, when you begin to feel disrupted and, and interrupted, yo, 
man, that's some stuff. It'll 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 cause you to go back, right? Like just like the children of Israel. Children of Israel just started getting hungry, started getting hot, started getting cold. And be like, man, shoot, let's just go back and, you know, maybe they'll. I don't know if y'all Star Wars fans. There was a scene in, uh, I believe, The Empire Strikes Back, or was it a Return of the Jedi, where C-3PO was? I think it was actually it was Empire Strikes Back, where uh, C-3PO was like, you know, maybe we can go beg for the Empire's mercy. They've been known to show mercy before, and I'm just like, oh man. And that's where I feel like, you know, oftentimes we get in, you know, particularly in theological education. So out any further ado, y'all, I just I just had to put that out there because I think it's important uh, that we support our women of color out there who are doing some heavy lifting. And her book does some heavy lifting. So you got to get it and check out the resources, because not only is she citing resources, she's also uh, connecting you with other people of color who are doing this type of theological thought. So I cannot express that enough so i'll put uh both these show links or these links to these books these women books uh in the show notes at whitehodgepodcast.com on to our guest today only love chica alston uh, she's the founder of prophetic whirlwind was born and raised in east new york brooklyn only love is also a community organizer speaker and writer after receiving her bachelor's degree in human development with a minor in african-american studies from penn state she completed a year of service with the americorps public allies in new york In 2011, she received her Master of Divinity and Master of Social Work degrees from Union Theological Seminary and Columbia University School of Social Work, respectively. Yo, her writing has been featured in Sojourners Magazine, HuffPost Religion, Black Commentator, uh, and on NPR's On Being blog, as well as in other print and online publications. Having experienced poverty and homelessness, she has developed a compassion for people fueled by their passion for justice and knows that the gospel is truly good news to the poor. Um, I can go on, but I'm not going to let her break some stuff down. Seriously, in this episode, I'm just like, wow, wow. <laughs> Wow. So uh, check it out. This is a great conversation, a great resource. And uh, let's dig in. Let's begin to really decolonize our mindsets and our worldviews, particularly as it pertains to a theological Christian understanding. All right. Check this conversation out. Exactly. So, well, cool. Um, Man, only love. Just thank you so much for coming on. And by the way, am I saying your name right? I want to make sure I say it right. It's, it's only love. Only love. Like okay. Only love you. O n l y. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, only love. Thank you so much for coming on Profane Faith and taking time out of your your busy schedule. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Thank you so much. Well, before we get into this book, because this is a book that. I enjoyed it's one of the books that I, I put on my recommend list when especially when white folks ask, well, who should we be reading theological books of color? I'm like, prophetic whirlwind. You got to You got to go check this out. It's on up there with, uh, you know, Dr. Will Gaffney and Kelly Brown Douglas. So but before we even get into that, I mean, I'd love to know, like, how did you arrive at this spot? What was what's been going on in your life from birth to now? So thank you so much for having me and for endorsing the book and spreading it. So um, I can share a little bit of my testimony. I actually did not grow up in a religious home. Okay. Um, You know, I did not grow up in a religious home. My mom was an atheist. My father was Hmm. in the five percenter nation of gods and earth, which is an offshoot of the nation of Islam. But I wasn't raised in that at all. I wasn't raised with any faith. I might have been taken to church twice, once for a funeral and once for a baby 
um, christening. And so, you know, my, my childhood, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, okay. um, in East New York. And that's one of the seven neighborhoods in New York City that sends the most people to New York State prisons. And, you know, had a normal childhood. Um, my mother married my stepfather. We moved to a house in Queens. And um, around the age of seven, my stepfather lost his job. And within a few months, we were living in um, hotels. And when the money ran out, like millions of families in the 80s, we went into the shelter system. And one day when I was seven years old, I came back from school and there was a child services worker there to remove myself and my 10 month old little brother and place us into foster care. And so from that day, um, my family um, has never fully been united. Um, That hit my mother very hard. So just ask the listeners to pray for her. Um, I have been able to reconnect with my birth father and my stepfather. But and um, all of my siblings, but, um, you know, for many years, you know, I had um, my little brother and I, we were with strangers um, for a short period of time. Thank the most high. And then we actually were taken in by my aunt and grandmother into kinship foster care. And um, by career for about a decade, I did faith-based organizing and advocacy. And when the child crisis started at the border, I was one of the first people in like 2014 to foresee that many of those Latino kids were going to end up in the foster care system. And so I spoke to the leader of Children's Defense Fund New York about the issue, and she pulled together um, nonprofit and faith leaders and an administration of children's services, high level admin staff. And so we had this meeting and I shared, you know, that I was a foster child. And um, there's a certain generation of black foster children hmm. who were wrongly removed from home. It's hmm. like we have these American boarding schools. There's a whole generation of foster children that were wrongly removed. There's a great advocacy organization called Foster Parenting Advocacy, FPA Foundation, founded by two former African-American foster children that really sheds light on the money that was exchanged and just um, why people were losing kids because of poverty. Like I never lost the mill growing up. I was never hit actually. Um, People would pick on my mother for being a black mother who didn't hit her kids. And um, it was basically, we fell on poverty and ended up in the system. And during that meeting, um, this white, you know, high level administrator at ACS stopped the meeting and said, I know this is a meeting, but I have to do this. And he apologized to me. Whoa. And that was in about 2017. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they actually have an exhibit about black foster children at the administration of children's services. It may be gone by now, but that is um, those moments of grace um, have always been present in my life. Um, Hmm. um, that just, you know, from the time I was born, I feel the most high was really drawing me to him. So at 10 years old, when I was living in the projects with my grandmother, I started praying morning, noon, and night and reading the Psalms. And then at 14, my aunt Frida looked at me and she said, somebody needs to take this girl to church. And so I walked to a local Baptist church Hmm. and when I gave the call to accept um, 
Yahshua. Many know him as Jesus. I refer to him as Yahshua, his That's Hebrew name. Yeah. I went forward yeah. to give, and I refer to him by his Hebrew name so that we remember that while he came on earth, he incarnated in a body and he was born to a people. And he lived under oppression, under Roman domination. When you don't really call him by his name, mm. um, you can really separate him from who he incarnated as. So that is why I personally um, call him by his name. And also I want to be correct because when we were brought here as enslaved people, the first thing they did was change our names. Mm -hmm. um, and in my book, I address what our names were before then and people will be shocked when they find um, the connection to many of the enslaved people's names and actually the Hebrew sacred name for God. But that's a longer story. But um, just if you hear me saying Yahshua listeners, it's, you know, the savior, you know, from scriptures, the Messiah. Yeah. So I went forward to accept him and, you know, was immersed that week, was baptized that week. And my relationship began with him. And, you know, when you're studying the Bible as a child for four years alone, what it what the scriptures say is what it is. You don't have theology. You don't have culture wars. Mm. You just have this is the word of the most high. I did not know when I was accepting Yeshua in 1996 that I was being drafted into this culture war that I never signed up for and that never addressed the issues in my community. Um, you know, I, you know, was dealing with the crack epidemic, foster care, homeless family, um, you know, growing in the faith, um, wanting to spread the faith. I always say when I got redeemed or when I got saved, it wasn't just my soul that was saved from an afterlife of hell, but it was my spirit, soul and body that was redeemed. Um, you know, that everything was redeemed for me. And when I say the gospel is good news to the poor from Isaiah 61, I truly believe that because I was poor, I heard it, and it was good news to me. Um, so, you know, but as the time went on, I saw how the Christians did things. I saw how evangelicals did things. And I felt because I wasn't coming from that stereotypical Christian home, even black Christian home, that I was lacking. And so I started to go along with the program, though I had questions. The scripture said to keep the Sabbath. When I mentioned that to my Bible study leader, she said, you're being too deep. And I love her. I respect her. But um, for me, as the years got on, there became a gap between what I was reading and what I was seeing. I was recruited by Christian colleges, given a scholarship by Liberty University, did an interview with them. Um, you know, they laughed at my name when I asked them questions about the dress code for women. They couldn't answer them. They had to put other people on the line. And I knew I said, this is not the place for me to go. Wow. I went to um, Penn State University first year. A lot of racism happened. That's documented in the press. Um, when you read the introduction, you will read about some of it. I, um, you know, I almost walked away from the scriptures totally seeing how much Christianity colluded with white supremacy. But the same spirit that led me to start praying at 10 um, helped me to stay a scripture believer, um, even though it would be a couple of years before I separated from, you know, evangelicalism and separated from the Sunday church and really started to return to 
you know, the Sabbath, which is very prevalent in Africa and was prevalent in Africa before Christianity, um, you know, to start keeping the feast days such as Passover and um, Shavuot, which many know as Pentecost coming up, um, you know, to really start living the culture that the, the scriptures was written in. Because um, many people will say, well, how can you write about the Black biblical destiny? The term Black is not in the Bible, and it's not. These Black, African-American, Puerto Rican, white, Asian, yellow, these are all like terms made in the past 500 years under the construct of race. And race is a social construct, but there have always been people, groups, tribes, and clans. Um, that is not a social construct. That is family. Hmm. And so in scriptures, you won't read Black, white, Asian, but you'll read Hebrew, Gentile. Um, you'll read Roman. You'll read Greek. You'll read Hittite. You'll read Cushite, which is Ethiopian. You'll read Midianite. That was Moses's wife. You'll read, um, you know, Edomite. You'll read... Um, Hebrew, you'll read terms Israelite, you'll read terms, um, you know, daughters of Zion, you'll read, um, and that's not Zionism like a religion, that's a group of women descended from the Hebrew people. You'll read about, you'll read about Ammon and Moab. Um, the, these are all people groups that have, you know, that are made up of clans and tribes. And so when we study archaeology, anthropology, even do um, DNA analysis of skulls found 2,000 years ago in Judea, which a Russian university did, and the foundings were published in Haaretz, the top Israeli newspaper, you will find that the people who resided in the lands where the biblical stories took place would be classified as Black today or classified as African today. So, you know, in a title, you can't explain all of that. So I, pay, yeah. I put Black destiny. Then when you read the book, we go into where humanity started, according to scripture and science, which many think those two areas can't agree, but on the origins of humanity, both agree that they started in what, what is today called Africa. We go into the fact that um, Israel was physically connected to the Suez Canal until 1816. Um, I'm sorry, Israel was physically connected to Egypt until the Suez Canal was completed in 1869. Mm. And so until the early 1900s, that area was called Northeast Africa. Middle East is like a modern political term. Um, and I know some people may um, say, why are you not saying Palestine? Well, you know, that was a name given to the land by the Romans. If you really want to go back, you can say Canaan land, which is what the slaves, um, the enslaved people sung about. Um, but that whole land, um, was physically connected to Africa. It was severed to build the Suez Canal, which was built for war and commerce. So the Holy Land was separated from Mother Africa for war and commerce. And mm. these are the things that we're not teaching in churches. We're not teaching in seminaries. Um, the, so, you know, that land always interacted with the rest of Africa. And so um, the way I kind of, um, for many years, um, was working with progressive evangelical organizations, trying to combat um, the racism and the sexism of the religious right, trying to really elevate that the scripture doesn't suggest that it commands that we take care of the orphan, the widow, the poor. 
trying to remind people that there are even commandments about welcoming the stranger who today is called the immigrant or refugee. And so, um, you know, as I went on that journey and as I went to Union Theological Seminary to study Black liberation theology, which was the first time I actually saw my reality um, within the scriptures, like my actual reality, which it was always there. You can read um, scriptures that mention children being taken away from their parents in Deuteronomy 28. You can read scriptures about people going into slavery and ships, which is in Deuteronomy 28. You can read about Yahshua, um, you know, going through, you know, a, um, a death on a tree, just like we were hung here. So many times I say that um, Black people are reading the Bible every day. And it's like we're looking in the mirror and we can't recognize our own faith. Um, there's even drink offerings in scripture, which now has become libations in Africa. I don't advocate people pouring libations. We, as Apostle Paul said, to pour out our lives as a drink offering. But that's a, a marker of um, quote unquote African culture that actually is within scripture. Um, if you um, go to certain tribes, they even have names that are within scripture. So as I begin, um, you know, as you progress as a quote-unquote professional person of faith, um, you usually hit a gap between what drew you to the faith and what you see. And so in about 2011, though I was organizing, um, you know, working for um, organizing multiple congregations of multiple faiths, um, I decided to take a break from attending church. I, I decided to stop attending church. It doesn't mean that I, I decided to not believe in the Bible or, you know, the most high. It just meant I stopped going to church. And I started to pray fast and study about what I believe. Um, started to look into the faith, the messianic faith, before it became the um, Christianity of empire. Um, and I started to find that there was, there were um, man-made traditions versus the traditions of scripture. Um, many of us think Easter's in the Bible, but that's a translation, a, a correct translation will say Passover, Pesach. And, um, you know, I started to really, um, you know, deal with health issues from being an organizer and an activist. And, you know, I started to keep Sabbath on Saturday. And I always say Sabbath may have saved my life. Mm. There are Black Lives Matter organizers and activists that are my age that, or people who should be my age, but they didn't make it to see another birthday. And so, you know, I um, really believe that um, following scripture um, separated from empire Christianity will really start to revive our people, redeem our people. But um, what has happened is you, you had a messianic movement led by Hebrews, led by people of color that welcomed Greeks and Romans. Prior to even Yahshua being born, we had conversion, which was great. That was what was supposed to happen. Um, the only point of a chosen people is they were chosen to teach humanity how to get you know to the creator how to reconcile with him and how to love their neighbor. That's it. <laughs> All this other stuff that people have made, chosen people mean, is, is, is um, missing the mark. But um, 
you know, so it was fine that Greeks and Romans were converting um, to the Hebrew faith and to the, you know, the Messianic movement, which they were still, you know, Apostle Paul still kept Passover. Peter still kept Passover. Um, what happened is, just like with hip-hop, I know you do a lot of work around hip-hop theology. What happened is they kind of usurped the faith. Just like now, if you look on Billboard, most of the rap rappers charting are not, um, you know, are not even people of African descent anymore. And yeah. so yeah. it's the same thing with jazz. It's the same thing. I mean, it's the same story, but on a bigger level, because now this is like having to do with our souls. But they begin to usurp and create this Constantinian Empire Christianity that's lasting until this day. And so that's a little bit of my story, but um, at the heart of it is really redemption. Um, you know, when I teach about the Black biblical destiny, I have all types of people following me. Um, you know, I've taken this message not only throughout America, but other countries, and not following me, but following the message um, that, you know, humanity is separated from the Creator, but there is a way to reconcile. But that way of reconciliation has been entrusted to a certain people. And so if you despise those people, you will never find a way, which is why Matthew 25 says what you, Yahshua didn't just, and this is where social justice Christians get it wrong. And where I, it's so recent study, I <laughs> got it wrong. Yahshua didn't just say what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Hmm. He said, what you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. And so there, there are people that have been entrusted with the oracles of, of life with, you know, Paul talks about the oracles of God, or I would say the oracles of Yahweh. And so you cannot despise those people and think that you're going to make it to the creator. When we look at statistically who the least of these are, um, though we may have the Oprah's and the Beyonce's, we all know um, who those people, you know, we all know who those people are. And so you know, you want to make sure that you're seeing the faith not through the eyes of empire, but through the eyes of the oppressed people it was given to. You know, uh, you know when you look at the Passover story, that that started in slavery. Um, and if you can't understand the faith of the slave, you won't be able to correctly interpret the good news. And so. Um, that's a little bit about me and about, you know, what really motivated this book. Oh, I love this. This is this is powerful because, I mean, in, in the book, you talk about, you know, that the Bible um, is a black text. And I, mean, I think you broke that down because, I mean, I've I've had a couple of different conversations with folks and, you know, an uh, argument in regards to like, oh, no, the Bible's not. And that the Bible was, you know, written, you know, so that humans could get it and that it doesn't have to deal with race and blah, 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 blah. And so I love the way you, you know, you nuance that what. Is and you think about this text, and when you think about this era that we're living in, um, what, where does where does where does your text sit in? The, what is the, in other words, what is if somebody were to were to listen to this, what is the importance of this, particularly in this era after the twenty sixteen election? Yeah. So what we see now is that there are millions walking away from churches, mm -hmm. and when I say millions, I'm talking about young white evangelicals on Twitter. 
I do not identify as an evangelical, but I um, still have a lot of friends who do mm-hmm. still follow. I saw the ex-evangelical hashtag. Right. And some of these white people were saying they're leaving because of racism towards people of color. Mm. And so this is because people who want to live in integrity can't continue to go along with lies. Now, um, you know, you cannot, you know, depict him as white, blonde hair, blue eyes, but then say that he was Palestinian or he was a Jew or he was a Hebrew. It doesn't make sense. And this generation, they're going to start questioning. Um, you know, it, this, this message is for everyone because we also have prophecies um, that are coming to pass. And after the 2016 election, what we've seen is a public stamp for hate. We have churches getting burned down, Black churches. We have synagogues getting vandalized. We have an increase of violence towards Black women in the street. Um, we have greater division, even gender division. Um, we are really, as a country, falling apart. And people are really starting to examine what are the core lies that led us to this point? Um, you know, how did we get here? And for many people of faith, they really want a faith that is going to say something different than, from the hatred we see. Um, even being espoused by the top leaders in this land. Um, you know, many people are feeling like what is being preached is not adding up with their lives. And we can chide these people and we can say, well, you just need good theology. I know a lot of Calvinists think that. But the thing is, how do you, it's not about theology. It's about understanding the culture that the scriptures was written in, who wrote them, who was written to, um, the language. When you, I mean, when you start um, looking at things in the Hebrew and the Greek, you see totally different meanings than what was translated. For instance, um, many of us read Proverbs 31, and we read it as, who can find a virtuous woman? Or who can find a wife of noble character? The phrase in Hebrew is a shet hayel, mm-hmm. which means woman of valor or woman of warfare. And it's a military term. It, it doesn't mean someone who's quiet and who cooks and all of that. That woman actually had a lot of household and no, no shame um, towards domestic workers. And so um, we have a lot of false beliefs that we're trying to build society on. If you think Proverbs 31 is a message to wives about how to be virtuous wives, and you don't understand in the context it was a a mother, a queen mother, speaking to her son about the type of woman he should choose, and the woman was capable, a business owner, Um, she took care of the poor, she didn't ignore the poor, and she was a woman of warfare, you'll get a whole different theology around marriage. But then you tell people who are um, struggling with divorce. You just need the right theology around marriage. And I'm saying you don't need theology around marriage. If you're trying to follow the scriptures, you need to know the culture that the Hebrew people lived and married in. Um, you know, and so these are some of the struggles post 2016, where it almost is looking like 
um, it's looking like the Bible is rubber stamping hate. And that's actually not true at all. Um, the scriptures speak about partiality, speak about turning away immigrants, speak about um, treating the rich better than the poor. It speaks about all of these issues of division. And it actually says, if you're going to follow Yah, if you're going to follow Yahweh, you cannot be someone who shows partiality to, you know, um, to some over another, which is what a lot of this is boiling down to. Um, even if you are not an undocumented immigrant, we're commanded to welcome the stranger. Now I see some conservative Christians saying, well, we can't use welcome the stranger for um, legislation because this is not a theocracy, which I would agree. I, I agree in um, separation between um, church and state. I agree this is definitely not a theocracy, but why weren't we saying that when we use scripture to legislate other things? Right. Now, when it comes to undocumented, we use it for, to legislate so many things. Now, when it comes to immigrants and we find all these scriptures about commanding us to welcome them, now it's like, oh, can't use it. It's not a, theo it's not a theocracy. We have to, like the young people say, we got to keep that same energy all throughout. And so, you know, the blackness of the Bible, one thing people have to understand, the people residing in the so-called Middle East today, for the most part, those you see in the media and all of that, they are people who settled there at different times. Even some of the Middle East Arab people settled in some of these places. There, were also, there was also the Arab slave trade that not only traded um, people of African descent, but also traded Europeans and put them in the Middle East. There were many invasions, especially Egypt was constantly invaded. And at one point during Alexander the Great's reign, and this is not a conspiracy theory, this is true, you can look it up. There was, um, Egyptians were encouraged to marry Greeks and not marry each other. So when you look at a lot of people residing in the Middle East today, what you are seeing is multi-generational mixed people. You're not seeing the original inhabitants. If you want to see an original Egyptian, you should probably go to South Sudan. Oh, many of those people were pushed out when my book covers Hebrew tribes in Africa. People, they, you know, there were migrations and people running for their lives and running to safe spaces. And this is not to denigrate, you know, um, Arab people that may be descended from that mixing or those invasions. But we cannot think um, that the education we've been given is totally accurate. Um, when they excavated skulls, a Russian university, and this was published in an Israeli newspaper, top Israeli newspaper, Harvard, um, they, the article is how black were the ancient Israelites, and they did DNA analysis on two skulls found in ancient, um, in Judea from 2,000 years ago. They said both skulls, these are their words, look black African, and they said the woman's skull looked even more um, black African than the man. And so it's interesting because 2,000 years ago, who was walking through Judea? Yahshua, Jesus. Hmm. So these could be the souls of his classmates, his, you know, people he went to synagogue with, his friends, his family. And so, you know, um, in our seminaries, especially evangelical ones in churches, we're not reading the scriptures for what it says. 
we're given theologies and then we bring those theologies to our scripture reading. So before we can, before the, the spirit can even communicate with us, what is being said on the page, we have a predisposition and implicit bias to certain things in the scripture. I've had to unlearn and unpack through learning the language of scriptures and the culture of scriptures. And I've missed many, many things. I was way off about many, many things. Um, you know, even when it comes to Sunday versus Sabbath, that was a choice that was made by the Vatican. You know, he did not rise on Sunday. Come on. When you add it, he didn't. And, you know, the, not offending anyone, but when you add it up and what he was doing with his disciples around the Passover, you don't get three days and three nights and hit Sunday. You know, this was done um, for commerce, for culture. But in, um, statistically, Africa has the most Sabbath keepers of anywhere in the world. And this is pre-colonial times. In Ghana, Saturday was always a day of worship, of rest. You could be arrested if you you worked on Saturday among the Igbo of Nigeria, the same thing. And so, you know, there's a lot that we don't know because what is happening with Western Christianity is everyone is being herded towards certain conclusions because of the different theologies. And I went to a seminary, one of the, um, you know, a very, you know, rigorous seminary. So I'm not um, denigrating you know, I'm studying, you know, the scriptures academically, but we really have to make sure we know the perspective of the people who are teaching us, because these people will say, well, I'm following the word of God I, with no um, alter, alter, you know, with no alterations, but they don't know that Proverbs 31 is woman of valor, not virtuous woman, or that virtue actually means strength. That's why when the woman touched Yahshua's hem and she got healed, Yahshua said, my virtue left me. Yahshua didn't say my ability to to be a quiet woman left me. He said my virtue mm. left me. And what virtue means in a Hebrew mind, we don't know that because we're reading the script. We're reading an ancient document written by people of color through um, enlightenment Western European eyes. You know, and even if you don't believe the scriptures are literal, literal people scribe the scriptures, and they they were not we would call today white. Man, <laughs> woo! Um, this is you take you taking us to 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 school up in here. Uh, I only love this is uh I love it. Um, in fact, you hit again. You hit. I'm just like you reading my mind. I was going to ask you about. You talked about implicit bias uh, in your book and the, you know the skin color um, of soil correct mm -hmm. yes want me to to touch on that please i mean because this is i mean this is this is the type of i mean i'm not gonna front i mean this is the this is this is this is the podcast i'll be showing to classes i mean i have a a, a doctoral cohort that i that i co-teach with and uh it's on well the title of it is transformational african-american church leadership and you know one of the goals is to have nothing but black scholarship in it like you know and, and that's not to take away anything from 
white cis males, you know, who've written and, and studied stuff. But I'm just like, man, this perspective here, what you're laying down is not taught enough. I mean, this is the type of stuff that really I didn't even get into until the latter part of my Ph.D. process. And even then, it wasn't as thick and it is, is in, in, in into it, you know, even what you're writing. So please, I mean, this this is fascinating. Yeah, so in the opening chapters, some might say, how do you know the Bible was a Black book? Well, um, or that the people would be called Black today. Well, when we look at Adam, and this is from Dr. Catherine McGee Livers, who's an African-American, you know, has her doctorate in Biblical Hebrew and Biblical Greek. Um, She teaches at the Midwest, I forget where, but she wrote the book, um, The Biblical History of Black Mankind. She cited in my book, and this is a bad sister, as we were saying, you, if you may want to, um, I can connect you with her brother if you want her on your show. Yeah, she, be, yeah. and, and, and she's not the only one. If you know biblical Hebrew, you know these things. So the Adam, that word comes from the Hebrew word Adam. And when you look at the word in the Hebrew, this is why the original language is so important. You see that it's, it means like reddish brown soil, like mold, very dark, swarthy black. Now, when we we know places like Mississippi, I've been to Nigeria, Nigeria has it too. We all know places that have this red soil, beautiful rich soil. Usually you can grow a lot there. The sisters, they have red clay mass made from that soil. Some African-Americans from the South, their grandmothers made them eat the soil. It's supposed to be the really rich soil. Um, mm. That is the color of this. When, when someone says, well, how can you be reddish brown? Well, that is the, the coloring. And there are people, African-American Africans who are brown, but have a reddish tint to their skin. I'm, I'm one of those people. And people would, you know, comment like, oh, that, that's cool. Um, among um, certain indigenous tribes and African tribes like in Namibia, they actually paint their skin and their hair with this um with this reddish brown soil and um because it denotes beauty it's like you're a higher class of person but it may be hearkening back to the mother and father of humanity which scientists have already said you know people who do not you know follow scriptures at all they already said humanity started in africa so all of all this is doing is actually you know, um, scripture says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we have scripture. We, you know, we have the out of Africa theory. And then we have the oldest human remains, which were found in Ethiopia. That's the third witness. And so when you actually know um, the Hebrew word where Adam is derived from, you begin to see his skin color as reddish brown. And then if he taken from him there we go we have the mother of humanity and so um and many scholars say that the river system leading leaving eden doesn't actually lead to the middle east but it leads to like sudan um ethiopia uganda like that east africa area which again would corroborate science finding the oldest human remains in ethiopia which is in east africa so of course you know humanity cannot get to the garden of eden so don't book a plane to get to Ethiopia or Sudan <laughs> saying, well, only love told me I'm going to find the tree of life in East Africa because that, unfortunately, 
has been closed off. In chapter three, we learn about why it's important to cross over and accept Yahshua because um, you cannot take a, um, a plane ticket to um, to get to the garden. You got to get to get back to the garden another way and um, thank the most high there is a way. But um, that is, you know, the little facts that we have missed in our churches and our Christian fellowships and theology because we don't really respect the culture that the scripture was written in. We do not know about the Hebrew culture. We do not even really know the culture Yahshua grew up in. So even when he's doing certain things like washing his disciples' feet, this was normal for that culture. Um, you know, when in Revelation, when he says, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone wishes to stuff with me, open. If you study ancient Hebrew marriage customs or ancient Jewish marriage customs, you will find that when a man was proposing to a woman, he went to he went with his family to her family's house and knocked on the door. He did a knocking. Um, and any African listeners knows what a knocking is and an engagement. And if the woman wanted to marry him, she opened the door and the families had a meal together. They signed the ketubah, the Hebrew marriage contract. They drank wine, all of that good stuff. Um, when Yahshua says, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone wishes to stuff with me, he should open. He's actually saying, like, I'm standing as your bridegroom asking, mm. will you, you know, be in relationship with me? Will you let me reunite you to the creator? Because he is called the bride, you know, the bridegroom. And we are called, his believers are called the bride of Christ or the bride of Messiah. So and the only people in the world who are still doing that knocking ceremony that Yahshua is alluding to when he's quoted in Revelation are people in Africa. Many of the tribes that say they migrated from Israel and are quote unquote lost tribes of Israel do knockings today. Even if the African people don't know that they're connected to the people of scripture. If you go to a traditional West African engagement, it may be called a knocking or traditional engagement. It used to happen in homes, and in certain villages it might still happen in homes, but because of immigration and things being modern, it may happen at an event venue. But you can Google online knocking ceremony, and you will see that it's only so-called Black people that in the world who are still doing that custom. And if you research ancient Jewish or ancient Hebrew marriage customs, you will see that that custom was done in engagement. Now, modern Jewish marriages don't have the knocking. They have other aspects. The only people who are holding on to the knocking are people of African ancestry. So these are the things we miss when we don't know the culture of scripture and we don't know history. Um, and then we say, oh, the Bible can't be a Black book. But then we have millions of Black people who this weekend, they will be doing the knocking that Yeshua is quoted speaking of by John in Revelation. This weekend, there will be probably hundreds of thousands, if not million, African couples all around the world doing that knocking that is referred to in the book of Revelation. What? And let me ask you real quick, what's the significance of this weekend? Um, oh, it's not this weekend, it's every weekend because marriages okay. happen on the weekend. Gotcha, okay, I, I gotcha. Saying, you know, there's going to be a lot of, African people getting married this weekend, next weekend, you know, especially, you know, weekends of certain holidays. 
but not that this weekend is significant, but that marriages usually happen on the weekend. Got and it. so, you know, you're going to have this being done. But if you don't know the culture the scripture's written in, you just think Yahshua, you don't, maybe you never even thought about why did John write Yahshua saying he's knocking? Can we open the doors? Like, how can I open the door to the Messiah? But this is all about um, the main reason that the Messiah had to come was to remarry. Um, you know, his people back to, to himself and then also all of humanity if they, you know, cleave, you know, to his people and his ways. And so, um, you know, even within, you know, um, even today, there have been many conversions to Judaism. So again, if you think that Jews are only white, you're very mistaken. Um, there have been many, you know, conversions from before Yahshua. So these are the things we need to know um, so that we understand. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think for many Christian people, we study more what others say about the scriptures as opposed to studying what is in the scriptures. Mm. And that can be, a, you know, a grave mistake. And then we also make the mistake of thinking who is a Jewish person today is the same as what a biblical Hebrew was 3000 years ago. And that is not, that is not discriminatory against um, European Jews. I don't have hate for anyone. Um, I've organized everyone. So it's not about hate, but it's about, you know, being accurate because we actually, um, we don't know what scripture says about the tribes of Israel. We don't know that it actually says, where the people would end up. And we don't know history. Um, we just, we don't know a lot about history and even what was happening that made so many Gentiles follow what Apostle Paul was saying. There were many people that were Greeks and Romans and, and during the time of Yahshua and Paul before them that were converting to the Hebrew faith and then converting to the belief in Messiah. Um, and that was what it was supposed to be. The problem comes when those who um, have converted, then you serve from those who started it. And that happens to people of color all the time. Wow. OK, this is man, this is this is this is an entire Bible study. Y'all, if y'all. Y'all got to get this book. <laughs> so let me ask this because I get this question a lot and I want to I want to pose it to you. You've mentioned one of your resources. I mean, I'd be curious because these are conversations that I even with my pastor that I've had about in regards to really expanding how we un like you you said it. Can you say that again? You was like, we're spend more time studying what other people have said about the Bible and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing it wrong the justice, but say that one more time because that is so, deep. Many times with Christians, we're spending more time studying what others have said about the scriptures as opposed to studying what is actually in the scriptures through the language, through what is actually being said, not what we've been theologically programmed to think that it says, but what it actually says. Wow. Um, implicit bias is a strong thing. Harvard has studied it. We come to the scriptures with implicit bias. We, we see many times we see in scripture what is in us. So I'm very clear that is all the scriptures about orphans are going to stick out to me because I was a, essentially an orphan 
for most of my childhood. I'm clear about that bias. Um, you know, other people, if you're married, the scriptures about marriage may stick out. Um, if you're a Greek person, when we get to the New Testament and you see towns that are in Greece, of course, you're going to perk up about that. If you're, you know, from an African tribe where they pour libations at every important event, anytime you see drink offerings, you might remember an event from your childhood. It, that is okay. What is not okay is when our biases trump um, the the word that has been laid out that we say we believe. Now, if you don't believe the scriptures, that's you, but I'm talking to an audience who probably does say they believe it. Um, and especially evangelicals and fundamentalists who say, well, I, you know, we have the right interpretation, but don't know the language. And, and then, you know, I trust in scriptures. I don't always trust in Western biblical translation. So, you know, we're missing large parts of the scriptures. And part of my book is um, I, I profiled 15 um, African tribes and ethnic groups that have a connection to the Hebrews of scripture. And I actually went to Africa and spent time with a couple of these tribes on the ground, speaking to royals, speaking to elders, speaking to queen mothers, going to synagogues, both Orthodox um, and Messianic, speaking to leaders, looking at archeological artifacts, and then actually studying academic articles books written by people from those tribes, interviewing people from those tribes that may live in America and Africa, um, going into history. Um, many people don't know that in Nat Turner's um, um, narratives, his confession, he, it's recorded that he had a vision in the 1800s that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Dead Sea Scrolls were founded in the 40s, but of course they were written like 2,000 years ago. And there is literally, and in my book, I quote the article that breaks this down. Nat Turner had a vision. Had, Nat Turner had a vision that was recorded in the Dead Sea Scrolls about 2,000 years before he existed. Wow. And that type of, and it's in the book, and I cite the article, that, um, you know, that looked at the Dead Sea Scroll, looked at his narrative. You can read that part of the book. You can look up the article and then you can buy his Nat Turner's Confessions. This is not made up. I mean, he literally, as an enslaved person in the 1800s, has a vision that's recorded in the Dead Sea Scroll. And him and his men are marching towards Jerusalem, Virginia, in this rebellion. And then he's saying, we're the Hebrews of the Bible. This is the type of stuff that I was not taught in seminary. Right. You know, respect my seminary, but we weren't, that will make your jaw drop. Now, how did Nat Turner, Nat Turner had no way to access a Dead Sea Scroll because mm -hmm. it wasn't founded until the 40s. Right. So right. he had it. And so, you know, the, these are the, the nuggets that I've actually spent time on the ground, you know, in Africa, one of the few um, you know, African-Americans, especially African-American women to visit these tribes. Most of these tribes are visited actually by European Jewish people. And in Jewish newspapers, they're reported on all the time. This is not controversial. This is not a secret. I mean, in the Jewish forward, 
they report all the time about these African communities that are called quote unquote lost tribes of Israel. Because actually there was a period where Christians and Jews were looking for these people because it's a sign that the messianic age is coming. But now we're looking more to wars and rumors of wars as a sign that our Messiah is returning as opposed to looking to people who are part of a family who got lost being found. To me, I rather look to these people um, reappearing on the world scene, reclaiming their identity, than to look to, <laughs> you know, I'm wanting, you know, almost wanting the world to break down into wars, wanting climate change to happen, to try to like rush the return of Yahshua, as yeah. opposed to being, you know, in a village and these people are declaring publicly who they are because the Jews of Timbuktu hid who they were because of um, the danger, the dangers they were surrounded by. They could not just come and say, we are Jews. And the library in Timbuktu was destroyed almost in 2011 by ISIS. And in the rubble, they found books with Hebrew writing that recorded all of the Hebrew families in that town and the librarian who was living as a Muslim black man ran the library at Timbuktu found his family's name recorded with the Hebrew name and discovered that he was a descendant of the quote unquote lost tribes of Israel. And I say quote unquote lost tribes because the creator of the universe can't lose anyone. Mm. We lose people and people we can lose ourselves. The creator never lost anyone. He know he knows and he knew the, the hairs on the head of each and every Hebrew in Timbuktu. Now, where the story gets amazing and probably uncomfortable for many is many of the tribes that I profile, and there were many more I couldn't fit to profile. I had to cut down 20,000 words. And I just want to thank Voices Publishing under the leadership of Reverend Leroy Barber of the Voices um, Conference for. I'm publishing this book on their imprint, having this be the book that they start their imprint with. I want to thank them for the support. But I had to edit out 20,000 words because people don't read 400-page books. I could not cover <laughs> every tribe. I had to make some decisions, but there'll be more books. But many of those tribes lost people to the transatlantic and trans-Saharan slave trade. So there are many African-Americans that are related to biblical Hebrews who don't know it unless they take a DNA test, get a tribe back, and then they can look up this information in the tribe. Um, they can look up the, you know, the information about the tribe. And then that's where it gets really interesting and really prophetic and probably makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But there are prophecies about, you know, people going into slavery. Um, you know, it's, it's shocking and to read it. I would suggest people read the prophecies in Deuteronomy and in Numbers and Isaiah. You know, many times we may not want to read the prophets, but a lot of times Yahshua just was, he was quoting Torah and the prophets. We don't know that he's quoting because um, he said, I didn't come away to do, I didn't, I did not want to change one dot in the law. I just came to fulfill it. And so that is the part of the story where part the last part of my book is actually going into 
um, the African American, the hidden Hebrew or Jewish history of African Americans, as far as rabbis and organizations, and um, you know, Marvin Gaye grew up in a Hebrew Pentecostal denomination, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the feast. No one told us that, and then we end the book with looking forward, because none of this matters if people are not reconciling with the Creator and if people are not doing justice and loving their neighbor. We can read history and feel good, but what does this have to say for how we live? And was the point, you know, that I wanted to make in the book. Wow. This, uh, y'all, the book is Prophetic Whirlwind, Uncovering the Black Biblical Destiny. Y'all have to go out and get you a copy right now. I'm about to put all these links in the show notes. For those of you listening, whitehodgepodcast.com, Prophetic Whirlwind, Uncovering the Black Biblical Destiny. Only love, this has been a, a, a schooling. <laughs> I love it. Um, where can, where can folks find you? This is, uh, cause this is, this is this resource that I think a lot of people got to get their, their hands on. If they want to bring you out and have them get educated as well, where, where can folks come, come get at you? So thank you so much for having me. Um, people can find me at propheticworldwind.com. The book is on Amazon Kindle, Prophetic Worldwind Uncovering the Black Biblical Destiny. It's also on the Voices Publishing website, um, and you can go to voicesproject.org and just click on books. Or if you go to propheticworldwind.com, you can just click on the book and um, go right to the website to find it. But we did just um, launch on Kindle this week, so you can get it on Kindle, because I know a lot of young people don't like to actually hold books. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I like my little Kindle books, too. Um, and you can connect with me on propheticworldwind.com. I'm also on Facebook under Prophetic Worldwind, and I have albums full of pictures from my visits to Hebrew tribes in Africa. Um, I also um, am on Twitter, Prophetic World. Um, as well and tweet and then I also have videos on my website and also on YouTube under Prophetic Worldwind where there's actually interviews with the leaders. I feel humble and I'm very grateful for all of the African leaders whether in Africa or America that um, gave me interviews, gave me quotes, gave me books, um, brought information from their parents and elders, people who welcomed me into their homes in Africa, royals who met with me. Um, I'm very, very humbled, and I don't take that as a um, lightly. And I have a big passion for seeing Africans in the diaspora, whether that's from Puerto Rico to Harlem and Africans on the continent uniting as the two, two sticks, as the, the scriptures say. And so, um, you know, part of the book is also my journey and how it felt you know, going to the Ghana slave castles, going to town where slaves were sold out of Nigeria, knowing that my mother's family um, has Nigerian ancestry and was owned by the largest slaveholding family in America. Wow. Um, you know, walking down that road, I mean, that you, you do something thinking you're going to uplift um, the stories of others, and then because of grace, um, the spirit also is teaching and uplifting you. So I'm very humbled and I hope to go back 
um, to Africa to continue to um, build and work and minister among these, these tribes. They have many needs. Um, and But every time I visit, people say, welcome home, or people say, we want more African-Americans to come, or we're, we were waiting for you. Wow. You are wow. our children. These tribes that, you know, even CNN has documented the Igbo as a lost tribe of Israel. When I walked in the Igbo village, they said, you people are our people. And so this is um, really humbling to be a part of what the spirit is doing in this world. And my hope is that we'll really lay aside tradition and get back to the good news of scripture. That even if you're scattered, even if you're lost, it's never too late. To be reunited with the creator and to be reunited with the family. I always say we weren't called to join a church or an organization or a temple, but we were called to join a family, to be mm. a part of a family. Mm. <laughs> That right there, all of that is going to preach. This is, wow, I'm already thinking 10 people I'm going to send this link to in this podcast, too. This was this was amazing. I'm going to have to get you back on the show. Um, an hour is just not enough time, but I would, I definitely want to get you back on. This is, this is amazing. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and, and just sharing this in-depth knowledge. Uh, for those of you who are listening, again, whitehousepodcast.com. I'm going to be putting links... Uh, uh, again, in the show notes, so you can go there. Uh, links to the book, li- links to uh, Only Love's uh, website and and material. I've checked out some of her videos as well. Amazing stuff. I'm telling you, this is a wealth of knowledge. And this, when we talk about, particularly this is for my listeners now, for those of us, we always talk about we want to support folks of company. Go and get this book. This is a, this is this is something that is uh, a resource and something that is also very much needed in today's conversation um, because I I love. Love that you center this back on a very much a, a biblical presence and understanding of theology. I love that because I think sometimes, and I'm speaking for myself now, it's very easy in this post whatever world we live in to lose, like you said, the sense of that, um, and and to really almost take a secularist position, like oh there is no God, and like oh this doesn't matter uh-huh. because colonization is taking such a hold, particularly for people of color. It's very easy, and again I'm speaking to myself, I'm not talking to anybody, anybody. But myself right now, it's very easy for me to just be like, eh, what's the point of even studying it? It's just another white person telling me what to think. So thank you for bringing this and recentering this. This was this was powerful. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I started this journey because I saw a lot of young people who were kind of taking that, you know, they were taking that approach. And so, you know, just saying, well, what does this you know, what does this have to do with me? And so I, you know, I also didn't want the young people to get lost. So thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.